Well, Tom, I thought this was interesting that um, even though this is in the banking world, and specifically in mortgage banking, and we can talk about exactly what happened at Bank of America momentarily, but this was the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau faulting Bank of America for poor use of data analytics. That was Matt Kelly. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. In this episode, Matt and I take a deep dive into data analytics around a speech by uh, Assistant Deputy Acting Attorney General and the Bank of America CFPB enforcement action, which found fault with the manner in which Bank of America used or did not use its data analytics program. This is cutting edge stuff. I know you will enjoy it. If you've not done so, I hope you will leave us a review and subscribe to Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Welcome back, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, we had a recent CFPB enforcement action involving the Bank of America that you data mined in perhaps a little bit different direction, which was on data analytics. You blogged about it on Radical Compliance, and of course, we'll link to it in the show notes. What about this enforcement action you found so instructful? Well, Tom, I thought this was interesting that um, even though this is in the banking world, and specifically in mortgage banking, and we can talk about exactly what happened at Bank of America momentarily, but this was the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau faulting Bank of America for poor use of data analytics. And compliance officers love to talk about data analytics these days. Just the other week, we had the big FCPA annual conference in Washington, D.C., where the Justice Department talked about data analytics, and we all love the subject. But really, this case was about how Bank of America mishandled its analysis of its compliance risks when the company had all the data it needed to be able to get a grip on its risks, um, built an analytics control to do that, got a good result for a while and then switched it off. And then the problem recurred. And that ultimately resulted in a $12 million civil penalty from the CFPB. So I thought this was a fascinating look at what data analytics really is, some of the big themes about how to make it work and how it should work, and where even large, sophisticated companies, which Bank of America certainly is, um, how they can get this wrong. And that's something that I think any compliance officer in any industry would want to be able to appreciate and understand. Matt, you have observed that when compliance officers think of data analytics, they think about it largely in terms of determining the effectiveness of their overall program or using it in a monitoring uh, manner to determine if program needs to be uh, upgraded or um, uh, increased in some manner. But here, I think you really wanted to focus on the risk side of things. Could you explain that difference? Sure. So I I stand by what you just said there, Tom, that I think very often compliance officers hear data analytics and they think about analyzing the effectiveness of their program. And I will never say that is not important. It is important, but there is another side to the utility of data analytics is that you want to analyze the overall activity in your corporate enterprise to see if there are compliance risks 
within that activity that analytics programs could tease out, which brings us around to what Bank of America actually did. So let me take a minute here to describe this. Um, Bank of America issues home loans, and as part of the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, which it is obligated to comply with, for every home loan applicant, uh, the loan officers at the bank are supposed to ask for the sex, race, and ethnicity of that applicant. And you're supposed to collect it all, ship that off to the banking regulators so they can use it as a tool to analyze fair housing practices and things like that. Now, the important distinction here is that you're supposed to ask the home loan applicant for their sex, gender, and ethnicity, but um, the sex, race, and ethnicity, but they're not actually obligated to report that. They could just say, no, I don't want to report it. And then you would file a information not included sort of addendum to the report and ship it off. So by the, all of this misconduct in question here happened in the 2010s. By 2013 or so, Bank of America, which tracks thousands and thousands of home loan applications every single year, uh, they realized that their information not provided rate of about 13% or so in 2013, that was higher than the average for large banks like them. And they didn't really like that. So they decided to implement a control uh, where they gathered up and did a monthly report on how many of these information not provided applications were being submitted and by whom. The suspicion being there were some employees, some bank loan officers, who just weren't bothering to ask the applicants at all. You had to go through a very dry, specific script to ask the home loan applicant, do you want to disclose this? You don't have to, blah, blah, blah. It sounds mind-numbingly boring to me. I wouldn't want to do it either. But if you were a Bank of America loan officer, that's the job. So if you were just skipping that step and saying information not provided, that was the violation the bank was worried about. So 2013 comes around, their rate of not, information not provided too high. They implement this monthly report meant to crack down on the abuse, and lo and behold, it works. So that by 2016, that information not provided rate had dropped down to only 6%. Very good. Isn't life wonderful? Yes, it is. And then what happened is the bank decided to cease that report. So to perhaps nobody's surprise, that information not provided rate began to tick back up so that by 2020, I think it was, uh, the rate had gone back up to 17%, unacceptably high. Uh, they then decided to do an in-depth audit and found hundreds of their loan officers had an information not provided rate of 100%. So basically, these people were not taking this step at all as they were required to do, they were just saying information not provided, not provided, not provided, blah, blah, blah. And that was the violation that Bank of America ultimately got dinged for. They were providing incorrect data to the CFPB and other regulators about their home loan business. Um, so what happens then is in 2021, Bank of America reinstitutes that monthly report, began uh, audio recording of the phone um interviews that the loan officers did, because a lot of these home loan applications were done over the phone. Uh, but as they used more analytics and were auditing more carefully and adding more controls, yet again, that rate of information not provided 
went back down to a very comfortable level of, I think, around 6 or 7%. Um, so it was a fascinating look at what analytics can actually do for you, how it should work, and how you can get it wrong, even if you are a very large company. And I'll, I'll stop there, but that, that was the, the nature of the violation that got B of A into trouble. So how does this really tie into the use of data analytics to manage your risk as opposed to simply determine compliance program effectiveness? Well, I think that Bank of America's error here was that they, let's back up. Number one, they prove an important point about data analytics is that in most cases, you already have the data you need. You just haven't yet necessarily realized, oh, it's this information I want to study. Um, They already had all of the information they needed about do we have this problem or not because they knew how many loan officers do we have? How many are submitting information not provided? What is that percentage? Like the data was right there. And then the mistake that they made was to perform that analytics in 2013, found the error and introduced a control to correct it. That's all great so far. But then come 2016, when the problem was solved, when that risk dropped down to acceptable levels again, they stopped it. Data analytics is not a one-time tool to determine whether you have a violation or exactly what the violation is. In the ideal, data analytics is something that runs all the time as a monitoring device to be able to bring an early warning to you that, the risk has now drifted into a red zone. We've gone from 6% to 17%, and that's too high. Um, but to switch it off when you actually had, like, they had solved the problem. They knew what analytics they needed. They executed that. They found a control. The control worked. And then come 2016, they ceased it. Um, that was treating data analytics as a one-time tool to solve a problem, not a monitoring device to study the state of affairs over the long term. And that's the faulty thinking that can get companies into a lot of trouble. Um, And really, ultimately, I could envision a compliance officer and maybe a head of internal audit framing what the compliance risk is, building the analytics algorithm to measure it. And then once you have it and you have that algorithm to study it, leave it running send it back out to the business unit to say, here is the risk management tool you can use all the time to manage your own risk, because they're the ones who are supposed to own the risk after all, and then go forth and manage good business uh, first line owner, and we'll be back next year or next quarter to see how you're doing. That is the sort of analytics that we should be striving for. And you know, this Bank of America case comes halfway to it and then retreated, and then it all went sideways. Matt, there was one other point in your blog post that really stuck out to me, and that was when the Bank of America instituted monitoring to to determine who was filling out the reports, which led to a pretty significant drop in the information not provided group. And uh, I wanted to maybe explore the use of that strategy to uh, determine if people are being watched, will they really do the right thing? Will they really follow the controls? And is that a control that you should put in place to, to monitor the other controls? Because it seemed to me that once they knew they were being watched, 
or at least monitored on whether they were filling out the forms completely, uh, Bank of America got some pretty significant information. Well, we should always remember that surveillance and monitoring in the banking and financial services world has a specific meaning that is beyond what most other sectors do. It is routine in the financial services world. They monitor every email. They record every phone call um, on your office phone, on your cell phone, sometimes even on your personal cell phone. If it is business related, they record it. And Tom, how many times lately have we talked about improper messaging that uh, gets the financial services uh, world into trouble. Every single thing is monitored and recorded there. That might seem draconian to a lot of other industries, but it does work. Um, I struggle with how that feels in practice. Just as a person, I think if I knew my boss was recording every single word and email I sent, that sounds like a pretty sucky place to work for me. Now, maybe there are other bankers out there who are okay with it. They do get very well paid if they are top performers in banking. Um, so I don't know if there's a trade-off there or not. But the fact is, you know, like we always say, what gets measured gets managed. Um, if they are constantly measuring, constantly reporting, uh, recording, constantly recording and rep every single thing that uh, the employee does, and the employee knows about that, you know, the, the worst case scenario is they're going to spend a lot of time devising ways to evade all of that. And maybe they will if they're still committed to committing fraud. If they're determined to do that, they'll probably find a way to do it. But I think most employees would just say, look, this is, is what it is, so I'm going to live with it. And if I don't like it, I can always get another job somewhere else. Um, it works. I don't know that I'd like working there, but it works. And so I can't really argue with the results. And I want to change the focus, uh, hopefully not radically, uh, but uh, a little bit to talk about the recent speech by the, uh, I believe, acting deputy attorney general, Nicole Arangente, at the ACI FCPA conference last week and focus on her remarks on data analytics. I know you've blogged about this as well. What did you see in significance there? Well, yeah, so that was uh, acting assistant attorney general, uh, Nicole Argentieri. She is running the criminal division at the Justice Department these days. She succeeded Ken Polite on an acting basis. Uh, she gave a speech where she talked about data analytics. Uh, she largely talked about the Justice Department's own efforts to improve its data analytics game and said that it is using data analytics to find on its own cases of corporate misconduct, including FCPA cases. That said, the only example Ms. Argentieri gave was of an individual who was prosecuted for an FCPA violation. That was a Bolivian finance minister uh, where they had sifted through transactions of financial records, I think it was, to sift out his misconduct. Now, I'm sure that's interesting to corrupt government ministers and defense counsels, but that is not the same as what a compliance officer worries about with a corporate FCPA violation. And so far, we haven't seen one of those arise from the department's own data analytics, but she does say they're working on it. And uh, we should keep in mind that currently, the fraud section at DOJ is led by a former compliance officer, and one of his top lieutenants is the former head of compliance at AB InBev named Matt Galvin, who is a whiz at data analytics. 
So when you have a data analytics whiz and a compliance officer running the fraud section, I don't doubt that they're serious when they say we're using this to be able to find corporate misconduct cases. I bet that we will hear more. We just haven't heard it yet. But Tom, the, the telling thing that I thought was just really a throwaway line by Ms. Argentieri was she said that just as we are upping our game when it comes to data analytics, we expect companies to do the same. That's true. That's not news. The department has said it before. But I think that we are but it would do us well to realize the, the implication there that the better you are at data analytics as a company, the more pressure you're going to feel for voluntary self-disclosure. Because as we just said earlier with the Bank of America case, good data analytics is about bringing risks that in, or incidents of misconduct that you didn't know about, bringing them into the light, and now you see them. And once you see them, you can't unknow them. You're going to have to do something with this new insight about your corporate misconduct. Now, certainly doing nothing is one choice. That is, you know, when you do something, you could decide we're just going to keep quiet and cover it up and hope nobody notices. That is a choice. I don't endorse it. I think that's a terrible idea. But you could do that. The pressure, however, will be that you then don't know, will a whistleblower dime you out to the Justice Department? Will their own enhanced analytics find out this same issue? And then once they go to you and say, what did you know and when did you know it? They, the new ethics and compliance guidelines from the Justice Department do instruct prosecutors to ask about what data analytics do you have, errant company that we are now looking at under the microscope. Did you use analytics to find this stuff out? Did you not? Um, you could have some very difficult, awkward questions if you used analytics, you found all this dirty laundry you don't like, but you know once you have it, you can't unknow it, as I said. So I would argue that makes the pressure for voluntary self-disclosure go up. The more stuff you find, the more stuff you're going to have to do something about it. And we all know that if the Sort of the, the first among equals uh, of, with all Justice Department recommendations is voluntary self-disclosure. Matt, there has been some commentary that the department uh, or some commentators feel the department will not be able to analyze the data or use data analytics at, in a proactive manner for either questions or prosecutions or investigations. Uh, do you share that concern or do you think that Matt Galvin will build out a team who can properly uh analyze and interpret data analytics? Well, I think that if anybody could, Mac Alvin and um, Glenn Leon, the his boss, who was an ex-chief uh, compliance officer at Hewlett-Packard and their team, like they would know how to do this. Um, I would point out that on the civil side, the Securities and Exchange Commission already does this. Uh, they have a data analytics team that looks for earnings per share fraud. It's called the EPS team. And every 12 or 15 months or so, they shotgun off a barrage of enforcement actions around their EPS team that had rooted out um, EPS fraud, accounting fraud. Uh, they also have done the same with insider trading. Now, there's a data-rich environment there for the SEC, and of course, they have a lower burden of proof on the civil side, but they have proved the case that, you know, yes, a regulator can do this, um, I think that just because the bar is going to be a bit higher for the Justice Department on FCPA cases, that doesn't necessarily mean they can't overcome that bar. 
And there's lots of other corporate misconduct that can leave you and your board reaching for the Advil that has nothing to do with FCPA. So maybe there are other types of misconduct out there that are also data rich. Um, I know a lot of Medicare and Medicaid people would say that's the case because that data is tracked meticulously. And um, again, over on Health and Human Services on the civil side, they've brought healthcare fraud cases uh, on their own thanks to data analytics. I believe the Justice Department has gotten in on that too. Don't hold me to it. But I don't see why FCPA cases would be such a drastic exception to that rule. And I was intrigued by your comments around uh, perhaps increased self-disclosure because uh, certainly I understand if the department has this capability, it might put greater pressure on corporations to self-disclose. But what if you're a corporation that doesn't have a data analytics program? You know, the, the DOJ officials have discussed that before. And to summarize it, they do expect a certain sophistication tailored to your size. That is, if you are a relatively small firm without a business intelligence unit and your analytics is really just, you know, the whiz kid who knows Excel really well, they won't expect sophisticated analytics from you. Now, for anybody listening who's at a Fortune 500 company, that's not you. You do have sophisticated data analytics. You do have business intelligence analysts and uh, all sorts of whiz-bang technology at your disposal that you can build these sophisticated analytics programs. Your internal audit teams would know how to do that. So the expectations for more sophisticated analytics will be higher for those larger companies. Um, and again, I'll go back to the Bank of America case. Some of it is not that hard to figure out. Bank of America had the data they needed. They knew how to build an analytics tool because they built it and they used it, and they got a favorable result, and then they turned it off. That was the thing that got under the CFPB's skin, is that they knew about this, they had a good result, and then they switched it off, and then everything went sideways again. So uh, we should keep in mind, as large companies, you know, a lot of times you will have the analytics you need, you'll have the data, you'll have the tools, you'll have the personnel, you just don't know exactly where all that is, and you haven't figured out how to line it all up correctly to do it. But you know, if you wind up with a major compliance violation, I'm not sure that's going to carry much water with the prosecutor investigating your case. That seems like a great place to end this segment. Can't wait to see what next week brings us. Thanks, Tom. All right. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Under the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog post for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability the business opportunity of the 21st century, Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance and AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.